Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Thursday morning. Nice to be home after the Cricket uh, World Cup in Australia and uh, being very busy uh, floating between uh, three or four cities over there. It was uh, pretty... Uh, whistle-stop sort of a, a tour to be perfectly honest we'll reflect on that actually um, very shortly uh, with uh, Logan and I just having a chat and looking back at some of the memorable moments uh, that came out of it including uh, one or two New Zealand performances as well uh, we'll have talk back from uh, you people please after 9.25 uh, 0800 uh, call in on any of the subjects that you like you might want to discuss uh, the T20 Cricket World Cup uh, the Black Ferns is an ongoing conversation, isn't it? Um, so uh, plenty to talk about there, so we invite you to call uh, around about that time. And of course, uh, the caller of the month could win an Oklahoma Joe's uh, Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill, thanks to uh, Able Living. So uh, they'll be pretty handy going into summer, you would imagine. Uh, Hugh Bainan uh, will be with us just after 10 o'clock. Hugh is a regular on the show, of course. He's the general manager of the NBL and Taui ba- uh, Basketball Aotearoa. So uh, the breakers return to the ANBL following the uh, FIBA World Cup qualifying window uh, where we lost to Jordan and Lebanon. So uh, what next for the black, uh, for the Tall Blacks, in fact, with uh, Hugh Bainham? The panel this morning will consist of Jordan Oppert and uh, Ollie Ritchie. Uh, we'll talk a, a number of subjects there, including tennis, uh, football, cricket and uh, rugby. Uh, we'll have a pacing for purpose uh, a horse for you very shortly as well and uh, we'll also have uh, a, a greyhound race uh, greyhound racing uh, pick for you as well as part of our charity run greyhound charity run uh, and then after 11 o'clock uh, we shall have uh, Corey Anderson yeah remember Corey Anderson former black cat flying his trade now in uh, the USA and uh, very exciting news for the USA they're going to co-host the uh, 2024 T- T20 World Cup with uh, the West Indies so Pretty exciting news for them. What uh, is up in uh, American cricket? Corey Anderson uh, with an update there. And, of course, the stump smithy around about 11.30 as well. So some of the regular stuff coming back. Uh, pleased to be back. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy Sermon. Well, I have to confess I didn't see a minute of the Black Ferns win at Eden Park. I tried several sports bars, uh, even the casino in Melbourne, but it just wasn't on the telly in those places. In fact... Most didn't even know it was on. Women's sport is not neglected there, though, because uh, they have plenty of coverage, healthy coverage, too, of the women's BBL and the women's AFL, which is hot at the moment. A remarkable turnaround from the debacle of 12 months ago. Wayne Smith gets the plaudits there, but his biggest triumph was the total buy-in he got from every player through to every sports fan. We probably trust in Wayne more so than we trust in Kane at the moment. And from the PM down... 
The cry has gone out for reward payments for the players. Bonuses not negotiated, it seems, originally, but now demanded. And they will come. Imagine the furor at the moment if Mark Robinson announced this morning that uh, after careful consideration, New Zealand Rugby has decided not to pay any extra, but we salute the ladies' efforts. That is hard hat material. I wouldn't imagine there will be any doubt that the flow-on effect from this will be significant. Sponsors will be lining up, won't they? Major ones competing for the right to be associated with the Black Ferns after what I'm reading from several journalists as the greatest game of rugby ever. As I said, I haven't seen it. It was in Victoria. They didn't appear to care, but it's a rugby thing, not a gender thing. For instance, Dave Rennie's failed Wallabies were hardly front or back page over there either. Illegal betting on the Brownlow medal is dwarfing most sporting subjects. So yes, being in a state of disregard, and by that I mean Victoria, not me personally, I've clearly missed out on something big. Can't uh, even watch a replay on Sky. I return home to where Ruby has more profile than Jacinda herself, and one wonders if but when she will turn her hand to something diplomatic. She will be in high demand, as will her teammates and the Black Ferns brand. So we should expect that the big bucks are about to roll in. It's on New Zealand's side! England couldn't control it! And in your life, have you ever seen anything like it? From the depths of despair to World Cup winners once more, New Zealand are the champions! Yeah, 908 here on SCNZ in the mornings. Uh, great to be back with you. And that was uh, Ricky Swinell, of course, uh, in that magic moment, which will uh, live, and that commentary will live forever, going to uh, prosperity. So, um, pros- uh, yeah, I think it's the word prosperity. And, and she will, um, of course, <coughs> be remembered for that. And uh, it'll be great to have a chat to her at some stage about how she felt going into that. And it is a remarkable turnaround, as we we said, uh, from the depths of despair in her words. It's... We were talking uh, not that long ago, it seems, about the the sacking of uh, of Glenmore and uh, who they were going to get, and all of a sudden Wayne Smith comes in and brings in uh, Sir Graham Henry, and um, you know other people, Mike Cron around him, brings in every coach and resource that he can get to help them, and they responded. Simply a great story, and more on that uh, throughout the morning, of course, and throughout the year, I would think, as we look forward to Christmas, which is not too far away. But Logan. Uh, yeah, I was away for three and a half weeks, and uh, it was a pretty busy three and a half weeks and action-packed. Uh, dominated a little bit by the weather, particularly around the Melbourne area, which uh, saw two or three games called off, which was a great shame. But uh, there were some gr- pretty cool moments. Yeah, there was. I, I personally, Smithy, really glad that the weather didn't dictate how the final was going to go down. I know there was a lot of concern around that. The weather forecast in Melbourne didn't look great for Sunday and also didn't look very good for Monday in the reserve day. But it all held off and we got some. We got plenty of great cricket in the end there, Smithy. Uh, I know one that's probably going to live the most with New Zealanders actually is your line coming out of... Uh, what was an awesome performance by the Black Caps against Australia at the SCG. Straight up, and this could be it. Conway is underneath it. Is this the moment New Zealand can finally celebrate? They certainly can. 
And that is a good old-fashioned hiding, whatever way you look at it. Yeah, it was actually, and that was uh, probably the most clinical T20 performance I've seen from a New Zealand side for a long period of time, and it <coughs> effectively knocked Australia out of the World Cup. That was the only match they lost. They lost a couple of points, uh, or a point through rain, as we did as well, but it murdered their run rate to a great degree, which they're never really able to recover from, and they sort of stuttered along, and there's a, there's a post-mortem looking into uh, Australian T20 cricket at the moment. Um, they're about to play this afternoon, in fact, uh, a one-day international against uh, England, the Adelaide Oval, but a different form of the game, but most of the same players are involved. But, so, yeah, Finn Allen is 42 off 16 balls. That was pretty exciting too, and uh, he was a kid that just hit the ground running. He really did. That was pr what he did to Mitchell Stark and co. Uh, was quite amazing. Stark over the wicket bowls and Finn, beautiful strike, straight down the ground, one bounce over the rope but long on for four. Take that, Stark in the end and bowls and Allen goes again, bigger this time, it'll carry to long on for six. It is quite a foray from Finn Allen who punches hard, straight back past the umpire for four more. He is taking toll on Mitch Stark in this opening over. Hazelwood's last ball of the over. He delivers on the drive. Square drive. Out through cover. Flayed it to the boundary for four. Cummins bowls to him and he pulls for six. There's 35 to his name. Stoinis over the wicket bowls to him. He advances. That might be the best yet. It is the most magnificent straight hit into the stands at mid-on. Hazelwood bowls to him. Allen's bowled on the advance, right through, and Hazelwood puts an end to what has been nothing short of blunt force trauma from Finn Allen at the top of the New Zealand order. How good was the atmosphere there at the SCG, Smithy? Well, it stunned them, really. Of course, it was an Australian-dominated crowd, but it stunned them. And uh, nobody, nobody in Australia really knew too much about Finn Allen, I'll be honest with you. Um, he made a fleeting appearance in the Cairns uh, Tri-Series, uh, not Tri-Series, a uh, uh, triple header, the 50-over game. He got 50 in that, so they, they knew who he was, but they didn't know much about his striking power. Uh, and so, to be fair, he, um, he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I think when he left, uh, we were about 56 uh, after four overs, and... Um, you know, it, it was just the, the basis for a fantastic performance that day. So, uh, yeah, it was it was it was terrific. It really was. And um, you know, it was just the fact that that performance uh, was so clinical. We could never really improve on it. In fact, we never did. You know, we we sort of went downhill from that uh, point onwards, and we're never able to reach those dizzy heights again. But one player that did, <clears throat> and he's made everyone's tournament team as a result of that, is Glenn Phillips. Of course, Glenn Phillips was absolutely amazing. Only 200 scored in the T20 World Cup. One by Riley Rousseau from South Africa and Glenn Phillips, the other against Sri Lanka. Phillips on 66, he waits. Fane's going over on the offside. Hits down the ground along on and he's hit it straight and over the rope for six runs. Back over the wicket to Phillips who's standing well outside of leg stump. Then goes inside now, hits it high over extra cover. Oh my Lord, that's gone all the way. How dare you? How very dare you, Glenn Phillips? In, waits outside a leg summon, heaves this one towards Long On. He's hit it very straight. It's hit it high on the bat, and it's gone for six more. It's a short one, and he pulls it away back for the square. Down to the fence for four. Glenn Phillips, you are magic. 102 of 61 balls.
That, of course, was our very own Daniel McCarty calling the games for SNZ alongside Grant Elliott. Smithy, man, that was the ma- almost the making of the man, wasn't it? He had such a great tournament, the only New Zealander named in the tournament team as well. Yeah, he played without fear. And uh, I was working with Shane Watson. You remember Shane Watson, of course, very good Australian cricketer, a uh, number of records and a hell of a T20 player in his own right. And he talked about Finn Allen and he talked about Glenn Phillips and he said of all the cricketers he's seen come out of the New Zealand uh, way of th- doing things, he said that they were the two most fearless he'd seen for quite some time. Uh, and that, I think, is what you need in T20 cricket. You've got to be prepared to get out uh, and accept the fact that you're going to get out trying to, to advance the score quite quickly. Uh, and, of course, uh, we know full well that that wasn't the case with a number of uh, two or three of our batsmen and that was one of the reasons that we weren't able to get that momentum going forward. But it wasn't just the New Zealanders that started in the whole show. Of course, uh, Pakistan, who have been our nemesis in uh, World Cups for a long period of time, uh, they fronted up with some really good performances, including an amazing performance by Shadab Khan when they really needed it against uh, South Africa. Shadab on eight. Waits. Gives it everything he's got. Six runs. Into Shadab. Oh! Full toss. And responded in kind by the Pakistani batsman. Shut up. Waits. A fuller pitch delivery. You know what? It's another six. It is. It's another six. Shut up. Can't take a bow. 50 off 20 balls. Now bowling from the Randwick end. Comes into the attack and removes the skipper. Caught behind. 52 oh. with the bat. Now he's followed up. Clean ball. He was on fire, Smithy. I, I love the atmosphere there. So good. He was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, hey, look, um, I, I really did like Pakistan. I, I thought they were terrific. So they just couldn't get it together in the final. They, they were a little bit like us in the semi-final. They just got uh, a little bit lost in the headlights of the occasion, I think, and uh, they didn't play their best cricket. Mm. Minnows, uh, the minnow sides, and we, uh, you know, it's, it's a term that you use. I guess reservedly, Minnows, but the lesser lights, the sides that aren't supposed to win games, did, uh, including Ireland. Of course, Ireland uh, knocking over England, which is huge. And how England let that happen when they knew the rain was around and they missed out by four runs on the Duckworth-Lewis system, I do not understand how they ever let that happen with all the technology that's involved in the game these days. But they were never ahead of Ireland on run rate when they should have been. It was crazy. Um, and you could see um, the frustration from England when Ireland went awarded that game and uh, the Irish fans that were at the ground and the Irish players did a lap of honour, for goodness sake, beating England in a World Cup. It was great. And then they had another moment, a special individual moment, I guess who? Uh, against us. Uh, and that was, of course, uh, at Adelaide. And a fellow by the name of Josh Little, who had had a pretty good tournament, had an even better one after that day out. Nice and close to the stumps, but he drags his length down and he's hit high to deep backward square coming around, taking a very good catch is Delaney, I think. Two hands around chin height. Jimmy Nisham is Plum LBW first ball. Full of length, swatting right across the line, and it's thundered into his back leg. Mitchell Santner on strike. Oh, big shot for LBW, he's got it, yes he has! Would you believe it? Richard Illingworth puts the hand up. You wouldn't save him because that's just as plum. Santa gone and a hat trick to Josh Little. 
Yeah, what a story Ireland were, Smithy, but not the only uh, nation, associate nation to think of when you think of this tournament and how well they've done. But what about Netherlands? Well, I, I did that game. I commentated that game. It was a neutral game, and it was uh, game one of a double header. So we arrived at the ground thinking that um, South Africa would uh, go through, and we would be playing South Africa in the World Cup semi-final. And Sydney, that's the way it was mapped out. I mean, you know, people had packed their bags, going in all sort of different directions, expecting that to happen. And then, of course, the Netherlands happened, uh, and an incredible performance. And uh, the Netherlands is a very interesting side if you break it down. Um, the statistician I was working alongside, Richard Isaacs, told me there was players from seven different countries, seven different birth countries, who make up the Netherlands side, including some South Africans who had uh, key moments in that game. So it was bittersweet for South Africa in that regard. But beating South Africa by 13 runs, quite astonishing, and it changed the face of the whole World Cup. Comes in, balls to Nokia, who smacks it away through the covers for four. And the Dutch celebrate. You'll really see that. The boundary conceded and the celebrations begin. But Netherlands have beaten South Africa. They have knocked South Africa out of the World Cup in 2022. The orange huddle forms in the middle of the ground and the South African batters congratulate them, shake their hands, but they will be devastated. They finish on five points in the group. Pakistan or Bangladesh will finish on six points at some point later today and it will knock them out of the World Cup. We've seen some famous moments here at this historic Adelaide Oval. We've seen upsets, we've seen great performances, we've seen great wins, but this is a significant moment in the history of cricket that just played out in front of us. Yeah, very significant moment there, Smithy, in cricket history. And of course, fast forwarding now to the <coughs> final, England. England just, just did it all there at the MCG, didn't they? They did, actually. Um, they were fantastic. Um, uh, and I, I've got to say that, uh, you know, they, as I said, they were the most complete side. When you, you bat a guy like Chris Jordan at number 10, you, you have the licence to know that um, if you get in trouble, you've got enough batting to get you out of it. Uh, and then, of course, you have this fellow by the name of Ben Stokes, Canterbury-born fellow. We can claim him if you like, but uh, to be fair, he doesn't play cricket for us. He wins cricket against us and he wins cricket for England. And he does it on the big occasions so often. It is uh, quite amazing how he can just handle the biggest stage, stand on the biggest stage and handle it with ease. Uh, we've seen it on two or three occasions, key, key moments that Ben Stokes has been able to win games for England. So, yep, it was Ben Stokes and it was England. Uh, and I think uh, deservedly in all over the whole tournament that they uh, managed to lift the trophy. Ben Stokes, ever present, faces up. He swings across the line and hits oh. the winning run. Ben Stokes waves his bat in jubilation to 80,000 at the MCG. And England stands as the dominant force in white ball cricket. Now, Smithy, we heard during the tournament uh, from Mark Howard, he was speaking with Staffy and talked about how much he loves commentating in these arenas alongside the likes of you. But what about for you? What's, what's the experience like for you coming back to a World Cup and commentating alongside your peers? Well, you, you never get sick of it, and you never get sick of uh, the camaraderie in the commentary box, and you've met work with people for the first time. Uh, I'd have worked with uh, a lot of people for the first time in this particular tournament. Uh, the likes of uh, Buzzard Khan, who of course uh, was the Lone Raider. Uh, when it came for Pakistan, he was the man that was uh, doing all the commentating for him. Owen Morgan, who I hadn't really met before too much, of course, former captain of England against us in the 2019 final. And all those 
people that you hadn't worked with for a while. So it's great to catch up with them uh, for start. But point uh, point two is that it's such a, a, a great event. Any World Cup is such a fantastic event. And you get those atmospheres. And they invented a, a new sort of position, Logan, which was the sideline commentator, which hadn't really happened in cricket very often. And I was lucky enough to be sidelined for India against Pakistan as a neutral commentator. 93,000 people. 93,000 people. Um, and you know, I just was blown away by being able to stand down there uh, in front of them and watch the game ebb and flow. I watched uh, Virat Kohli play the innings of a lifetime there. He said one of his best ever to take uh, Pakistan out of it. Uh, but it was just the most enthralling atmosphere. They say uh, the AFL Grand Final is just something you've got to go to, even if you're not a footy fan. You've got to go to get the experience. Uh, well, I, I've got to say, I, I have... Um, I've experienced everything now with 93,000 India versus Pakistan in Melbourne. Quite quite amazing. Yeah, I love the way that they incorporated the sideline commentator role there for this World Cup. <coughs> and speaking of that game there, and you had the wave going on there at the MCG and you were just engulfed in just a sea of green, just so <laughs> many fans. It was amazing scene, Smithy. Yeah, green and blue, actually. Um, you know, it was just uh, ball by ball, the flags were flying in a different direction, depending on who, who'd hit a four, who'd hit a six, who'd lost a wicket. It was just um, uh, the ebbing and flowing of that particular game. Um, you know, and I, I heard that uh, over a million people watched the uh, Women's World Cup rugby final, which is great numbers, you know, when you look at what's uh, free to wear and, of course, the, the spark content as well. So over uh, a million people, which is an amazing number, an amazing number. Um, but put that against half a billion, half a billion watched India play Pakistan. Half a billion worldwide uh, watched that on television. So that's when you see uh, the numbers that are involved in cricket, etc. I did a bit of an exercise, actually, um, before we go to a break. Uh, and there's talk about um, who should get paid how much um, from the Women's Rugby World Cup. And they'll get a bonus, there's no doubt about it. And they do deserve a bonus. But New Zealand, actually... To be perfectly honest, New Zealand for finishing as a losing semi-finalist in that particular tournament, their T20 tournament, uh, they made, uh, <coughs> by my estimation, around $43,500 each. Divide that amongst 15 players. Uh, that, that's the way I, th I think, if I do the maths on the total prize money that was available to losing semi-finalists and divide it by the number of players in your squad, around about $43,500 for being losing semi-finalists. That is how much money is involved in uh, cricket worldwide, particularly from an Indian point of view. Uh, if you are a privy to the broadcast and you hear all the things going on in your ear while you're trying to commentate, Star Television is the dominant force. They take an ad break as every possible opportunity they can in cricket because they sell them at such a high price, and that is what's involved there. So, you know, um, <clears throat> you talk about uh, how... How you balance the box and how, how you um, tend to reward individual teams. And, and um, it's a quite interesting, but it's all based around numbers and television numbers, advertising revenue, and that is exactly uh, what happened and came out of that. Uh, we'll take um, a short break. We'll be back shortly to invite your calls. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 0800-150-811 is uh, our phone number we invite you to call now get on the, the phone and of course caller of the month could win uh, uh, Oklahoma Joe's Blackjack Charcoal Kettle Grill thanks to Aber Living so make sure that uh, you ring up 
and uh, get in line to win that. Uh, already Zaid is uh, on the line, so we'll talk to him after the news here with Araha. Talkback time with Smithy. Call now 0800 150 811. Yeah, 0800-150-811, and uh, we can uh, give you perhaps a grill. That would be fantastic for summer. Um, I invite you to call on anything, really, but if you want to talk about uh, anything that uh, you saw come out of that uh, T20 Cricket World Cup, I'm very happy to talk about it. The New Zealand side, the New Zealand performance, uh, what you think we need to do going forward, where do we get it wrong? I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts uh, on that, as well as uh, the reaction too. Uh, to the uh, Women's Rugby World Cup win by the Black Ferns. How fantastic was that? Uh, Graham actually has come in and said, Smithy, you've only been back two minutes and you got it wrong. Thanks very much, uh, Graham, for uh, reminding me of that. Uh, you say Glenn Moore was not sacked. He stood down for the betterment of the team. Right decision as it turned out, but personally I think he was thrown under the bus. Do you really think he would have survived, Graham? you think that he would have survived? Do you think that they wouldn't have made a change uh, in the climate that they were in with the hand that they were dealt? Um, <clears throat> I think you'll probably find that um, Glenn Moore would have wanted to stay on doing the job um, but he didn't do it and we know uh, as a result of that but thanks Graham uh, Graham from Marlborough formerly from Northland thanks very much for your text there nice welcome back alright uh, let's get into this uh, Zaid g'day Zaid how are you this morning yeah good good thanks welcome back to um, to New Zealand um, I'm sure you'll be happy to be back in your uh, home in Hawke's Bay um, I, am. I am, but yeah, a few a few things I want to um, talk about. Actually, with cricket, it kind of relates to the World Cup, but kind of doesn't. Um, Martin Guptill, do you think he's being shafted um, now, not being picked in the Indian team uh, to play? And uh, being picked in the New Zealand team, sorry, to play India, um, he was picked in the World Cup, and I think he didn't play the whole World Cup. And then my other thing, which is kind of relating to that, is Kane Williamson. Do you think he should still play T20s for New Zealand? as his strike rate is really low and Sunrise's Hyderabad just um, term, I did not re-sign him, uh, did not retain him yesterday. So I'm just wondering what you're thinking about those kind of two um, cricketing subjects. Obviously, we're playing India tomorrow night, so it's a pretty good round for the Black Caps as well. Um, I know it's a bit of an understrength Indian team, so we should hopefully beat them. Uh, look, uh, Said, yeah. okay, let's uh, address the Martin Guptill thing first of all. Uh, Martin Gupta wasn't in the best of form uh, going into this, but um, if they were, the, the thing that struck me as unusual about that, Zabe, was that they, they basically told the world that they weren't going to use him. Uh, that was after picking him, and it was very uh, quickly after picking him as that, uh, at that as well, that they were, were not going to play him in the tournament. Um, I think that the way it, um, it uh, really turned out in the end, we could have used him. We could have used him in a role in the top three. Um, providing that he was prepared to hit with a license um, on the you know the basis that you know it was going to be one of his last World Cups etc and just giving them the license to go out and say look if you get out so be it um, but what happened when it's when we lost the wicket uh, Kane Williamson came out and Kane Williamson spent his whole life since about the age of seven or eight uh, trying not to get out uh, and he's been outstanding in, in cricket across the age group levels right through into his international level. Here we are talking about Kane Williamson in a sort of a slightly derogative way, uh, but he is without doubt and will be our greatest batsman ever when he, when he finally finishes. His numbers will reflect that um, and uh, he, he will be. I mean, he'll surpass the lot. Uh, so very proud to say that. 
But right at this very point in time, he's not playing T20 cricket the right way. Uh, he is not aggressive enough when it comes out, and he takes the heat off opposition captains and opposition bowlers. Uh, you know, when you're scoring 40 off 40 and you're scoring uh, 46 off 41, um, effectively on two of those innings, one was against um, England and one was against, um, I think, also against Pakistan, you're looking at him facing, uh, what, 86 deliveries um, and scoring basically a run a ball. Now, opposition captains and opposition bowlers don't want him to get out. They really don't want him to get out because he's not going to hurt you. Uh, you know, if he's only going to score a run a ball, that's fine in T20 cricket. Uh, so Kane Williamson has to look at that. He's a good enough player to adjust that. He has been quite an aggressive T20 player in the past. But at the moment, that is not what we need in the top three of our T20 side. I noticed that uh, when they've picked this side to play against a depleted Indian side, very depleted Indian side, um, that um, they've kept pretty much the status quo from the, the World Cup. Martin Gupta was not a factor in either of those games, which are either of those forms, which is a great shame. He deserves uh, a little bit better than that, but it doesn't look to me uh, Zaid as if he's going to get it. So, hey, thanks for your call, mate. I, I really appreciate that. I hope that's cleared those two matters up for me. Uh, Kane Williamson has to make an adjustment. Uh, Cliff, good morning to you. Yeah, morning, Smitty. Nice to have you back. Uh, Ricardo did a great job. He's a he's a professional yep. too. Um, he sure is. Yeah, just yeah. He knows his football. He knows a bit of everything, and that's that's what you need when you're behind the mic, like yourself. Um, yeah, just just talking about Kane. I, I think him instead needed to sort out uh, how the game was going to run. Whether if he was going to come in in the first three or four overs. He really needed to drop down the order and they sent another hitter in. And I think they missed that quite often. And it really showed Kane's ability. He, look, he's a class player. And look, he's a tested 50 over man. But 2020 cricket, it's it's really... It, he, he would be really struggling to try and change his game to manufacture. And manufacturing shots is not him. He's not like Baz McCullum and, and even Guppy. But... But, yeah, to me, they, they, they missed a trick there. They should have dropped them down the order to four, brought up either Mitchell or, or um, Phillips to, to come to three, just to keep the game moving on at a better clip. I feel for Gupta. Yeah, 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 I do. Uh, just before you get to Gupta, I am in total agreement with you, Cliff. Uh, one of the things about batting power plays is that they are an advantage to a batsman who is prepared to hit in the air over the top and hit the ball hard. And that is what Phillips um, deserves to do. Phillips is dynamic. He has to bat at three. Um, you know, the old adage, even the late Martin Crow used to say, your best players, your most dangerous players, quite obviously has to have to be able to face the most deliveries. Uh, and that is Phillips. He's our best T20 player, um, you know, when it comes to non-openers. So he ha you're dead right. He has to come up to number three and, and get used to playing in that role. And the guptal thing, yeah, I'm, I'm all ears. Now, you know, Guptill to me, 2020, he's, he's a bit of the same position. He's not really aggressive enough in that opening power play, the, the first six overs. He does build in innings, and, and in the second part of his innings, he can go at it well over the 100, 150 even. But to, to me, he was never going to be an opener in that side if they were, wanted Finn Allen. He couldn't bat at the other end because they used the keeper Conway, which meant that they could have more all-rounders and play, you know, it further down to play the keeper up the top. 
to me, Gumpers deserves to be in the 50-over team at the moment still. He, he really has to be in that side, even if he's only in the squad, even if he doesn't play every game. But to, to not play him in the 50-over team just seems really, really odd that they, they're letting him go on that. And, and I think Stead has to answer that question. What is a guy who's been the premier player in 50-over cricket for New Zealand? He's been better than anyone else in stats and, uh, over the years. He suddenly gets dropped out of both, both teams on the fact that he was supposedly out of form to going into the 2020 World Cup. Suddenly he's not even a 50-over player. And I reckon that Stead needs to answer that question. Why has he been dropped out of that? Is he going to be able to fight his way back into the team? It's going to be difficult. You know, it, I can't see him getting back in this, this season. It just doesn't work for him if they're looking at guys like Phillips and carrying, um, oh, sorry, the, the other guys in the middle order to cover. I mean, if, if Finn Allen got injured, they'd, they'd call him up and say, well, you've got to come back and open or if Conway doesn't open. But see, Conway could still bat down in the 50 over. I like, I don't mind the batting of the, opening the batting in the 50. But then Kane gets more time batting at three. To me, Kane could even open the batting in the 50. You know, like you say, Sashin Tendulka used to came up and open the batting with Ganguly in the, in the 50 over game because he knew he wanted to make the runs. He knew he was the best player. He needed to face the music and bat the 50 overs if he could. So the big question is, I think that, that New Zealand cricket needs a real freshen up. They need a, a different coach over, uh, with the 2020. They need to get the test players out of that side and, and have a proper 2020 team. If Stead wants to carry on, he puts his hand up for the 50 overs. But at the moment, I, I only see him running the test side. And if someone like Danny Vittori or or Flem or someone like that came and said that they wanted to take over any of these teams, I'd be throwing the, the job to them. I think everything's a bit stale. We're still, we're still running on that test championship that we won a couple of years ago, uh, and we're hanging on to that. I think we're, you know, there's a lot of guys that are due to fall out of this team, like the Wags, Saudi, you know, our, our premier bowling attack is going to be pretty thin going ahead soon, so things need to change. You're right, Cliff. I thank you very much for your call. Some wonderful observations there. Uh, I think you're spot on. Uh, spot on in a lot of them as well, and uh, I, for one, and I imagine New Zealand cricket are too, uh, there was too, obviously too quick between the World Cup and the series against India to make any big changes, but surely within their ranks they must be thinking about their strategies and their structure going forward. The next T20 World Cup is not that far away. We'll talk about that actually with uh, Corey Anderson after 11 o'clock this morning. Dax from Christchurch. Good morning to you, Dax. Morning, Ian. Hope you're well. Um, just being in Australia, I'm just curious to get your observations. I believe that um, the test captain's skipping the IPL this year to concentrate around the Ashes. So I'm just wondering, what, after being over there and meeting ex-colleagues and people in the media and hanging out there, do, was it a big deal for them getting knocked out in the T20? I know that they would have liked to win. And, and had it, had, did you get an idea of what the tier is of importance for Australia in cricket? I'm guessing that test cricket's still a long way ahead. There's concern uh, amongst uh, the people I work with, Dax, um, and they, they think they still really haven't got over the fallout over the demise or the removal, and it was a removal. Uh, Graham from Marlborough, if you're formerly from Northland, 
Um, Justin Langer, even though um, uh, it would appear from the outside as if he stood down, he was effectively sacked as well. That's what happens. Um, so, uh, Dax, uh, they haven't, uh, they're saying, Michael Clark, Shane Watson, uh, the people I work with there, Adam Gilchrist, say they still not have got over the fallout over Justin Langer because it split the ranks um, within the team and it split the ranks within the administration as well. Uh, so they're, they're looking to, to get this. Now, the new guy, Andrew McDonald, is uh, a, a pretty cool guy. He's a pretty relaxed sort of a guy, but it's, so far, um, of course, it, it hasn't worked out that well for him. He's uh, under pressure um, all of a sudden to come up with um, a decent side. Um, a new captain, Finch, is gone. That was the fallout as well. Of course, uh, Aaron Finch has finished with 50-over cricket. He's finished with T20 cricket. So they have to find um, a new leader, and they've gone for Pat Cummins, um, in terms of a 50 over cricket so uh, a handful for Pat Cummins a mentally respected guy over there uh, but the fact of the matter is that they're in a bit of a mess they haven't quite got their, their, their team sorted out they're quite similar to us in that they had a player by the name of Steve Smith remember him, one of the great players of modern day cricket in their ranks as well um, like Martin Guptill they, they never used him they chose to have him in the squad as a powerful force within the squad but not on the field of play and he only got one go, and that was because of injury right at the end. Uh, so th- the feeling there, Dax, the overall feeling is that they're pretty worried. Uh, it's quite a defining summer for them. They've got a test series against the West Indies, which they should dominate. They've got a t- test series against South Africa, which they won't dominate because South Africa are very good. So it's a really interesting summer of cricket that uh, you'll see unfold very shortly. But uh, they're not happy. You lose a World Cup, you get knocked out of a World Cup and don't even make the playoffs in your own country. It's embarrassing particularly if you're a cricket force like Australia, and that's the way most of them felt. That is uh, 9.46 here. Thanks very much for your calls. Uh, We'll be back here very shortly uh, with some more stuff as we head up to the 10 o'clock news. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Smithy's Multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, today uh, we're going to go a little bit of NBA later this afternoon. The Washington Wizards, I believe, will beat uh, OKC. So uh, that's at $1.52. Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, there's a game of cricket. Uh, yeah, 50 over cricket today. Australia uh, against England. Two of the big guns are at it. Uh, Australia are $1.62 to beat England. Uh, I'll be surprised if half the England squad are sobered up yet, to be honest. You win a World Cup and then uh, you head down uh, to Adelaide and try and get yourself to prepared to play in a different form of cricket. Most of the same players are involved there. Um, and I've heard uh, already and seen articles where the likes of uh, Moan Ali have said it's too soon. It's way too soon for us. It's uh, way too quick after a T20 World Cup to be playing 50 over cricket two or three days later. So if that's the feeling within the England camp, uh, I think you'll find Australia looking for retribution uh, will be pretty good value at $1.62. Uh, and there's a game of uh, footy to be played as well, and that is uh, Peru to beat Paraguay at $1.95. So uh, it's the Washington Wizards into the Aussies into Peru, uh, and that will pay you $4.80. be nice to get uh, a nice $4.80 multi on return. What are we doing now, Logan? We're going to take a, a short break and come back? Okay, we'll do that uh, here on SENZ at 9.53. 
Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Thanks for your calls, uh, but thanks for your texts as well that have come in. Uh, Andrew said, Smithy, grab a bag of chips and a beer and jump on Spark Sport uh, and watch the replay. Non-stop action from both teams. Mistakes were punished by either team. I was there and no all-black game I've been to had the atmosphere just full-on entertainment. I've watched the game on replay as well, and even knowing the score, it was still exciting rugby. Andrew, looks like I'm going to have to uh, do that. Uh, it looks like I might have to get uh, Spark as well because I, I really do need to see that game. Uh, and Spark is certainly getting uh, a lot of sporting products, uh, particularly uh, when you see what's going on in the world at the moment. Uh, Sean, uh, morning, uh, Smithy. Just on the Guptal topic, uh, surely we could have used him in place of Nisham at the World Cup. Nisham didn't bowl at all, so it was uh, used purely as a batter. And if you compare the two just uh, on batting, there's no contest. And also on Phillips, he needs to bat at three. He needs as many balls as possible in the power play, as that's where you uh, in your innings uh, set you up your innings. Of course, uh, just plain stupid to put Williamson at three, who never took advantage of the opening six over Sean. Great observation there. I think that's a fair enough point of view. And uh, I am with you on Guptill instead of Nisham. If they were never going to use Nisham as a bowler, Martin Guptill surely, surely Martin Guptill was going to be better value as a straight out hitter. <clears throat> had to be, had to be on record um, could have fitted him in there in that top three for me um, and, and just given him a licence because that's uh, the problem, when you come towards the end of the, your career, uh, you play with fear of missing out and getting dropped and I think that's half Guppy's problem. Coming up to 10 o'clock here's Aroha 14.76am in Auckland, this is SENZ, it's Kiwi for Sport from behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 10.03 here on SENZ in the mornings and the New Zealand Breakers went into the short break for the FIBA qualifying window, sitting second on the ANBL ladder behind the Sydney Kings, but they're set to return and keep their momentum rolling. It's been a terrific start to the season. Uh, but meanwhile, the Tall Blacks suffered two losses in the Middle East during that window, going down 92-75 to Jordan, 77-65 to Lebanon. Joined now by Hugh Bainan, of course, who's a regular on the show, the GM of New Zealand's NBL and uh, Tauiki Basketball Leagues. Uh, he's on the line to talk about um, what has been going on uh, with this uh, effort from uh, the, the Tall Blacks to try and qualify. Uh, Hugh, good morning to you. Nice to talk to you again. Uh, what did you take away from those... Uh, those losses to Lebanon and Jordan. Morning, Smithy. Good to be back. Um, two big things to take away, okay, for Tall Black fans out there. One, other teams are really good. You know, this is basketball. We have obviously in New Zealand, we have quite a, we have such a strong focus on, on our, I guess, for want of a better term, Commonwealth-based sports, um, where you know it is quite a narrow field of, of really good teams, of which we're one of them. Uh, basketball, man, it is so global. It's the second biggest sport in the world. Every country is good at basketball. So you rock into Lebanon, and yes, it's a team that doesn't, a country, or Jordan, you know, countries that don't often come across 
uh, our periphery when it comes to sport. These are really good basketball countries, so that's one thing to take away from them. These teams are really good. Uh, and the secondly is, you know, the Tall Blacks, they locked in their qualification for the World Cup early in the year, so we know we're going to the World Cup next year. So Perro Cameron is using these opportunities, these windows, uh, as a chance to try and build that little bit of roster depth, you know, and there's, there's two factors to that. One is, during the Australian NBL season, it's hard to get some of our star players um, to come over to the Middle East for games because it really disrupts their Aussie NBL season. So we were without a fair chunk of, of players who will be on the plane to the World Cup next year. You know, Findelaney's over in Germany playing, Yanni Wetzel's is playing in Spain, Shea Illy uh, with Melbourne United. So some of our stars weren't there. So, um, you know, it was a ch- good chance for young players like Alex McNaught, who played really well in his first two games in the black jersey, um, for Ben Gold, who's been one of the shining lights of the last couple of years. And Perro will certainly be having a, a, a sharp look at those two uh, and, and some of those other young players to see who's going to fill out the rest of that roster at the World Cup next year. Okay, so um, looking at those, uh, the margins of those results, um, which are pretty healthy, uh, losses to be fair um, mm. what it, what do you look at it and, and would Pero uh, be satisfied then that he's found out what he needed to find out from those particular squads he took away it was good and bad, right? So Alex Minot was a real shining light. He'd be his, his rose from absolute, almost obscurity to, to stardom in the last two years. You know, he only finished at school last year. He didn't get any offers to go to college. He popped up for the Nelson Giants, played really well thanks to an injury to a more senior player. Now he's with the Breakers and getting more minutes than anyone thought he would and, and playing well in them. And now he's a tall black and played really well. So that's a real uh, win for, for Perro, the tall blacks in basketball in New Zealand over the last couple of years to see that that young man's um, getting better and better. Um, and there'll be some bad, you know, some of the senior players didn't perform. Jordan Nartai, is he coming to the end of his tall blacks career? Is he, is he looking like he might not get a spot on the plane? He's paid, you know, 60 plus times for the tall blacks now and has always been a mainstay of the squad. And he didn't, sh- for, you know, fill himself with glory over in the Middle East on the court. He doesn't have a roster spot on the Australian NBL this year. So maybe there's some players, maybe it's moving time with the old guard for the Tall Blacks and Perro's looking at that a little bit closer. So certainly that. He would have been disappointed with the margin of those results, Smith. You know, it was neck and neck at halftime in that second game. Mm. Uh, and then you look at it on paper and it, it was a blowout in the second half. That's not good enough. You know, this is the Tall Blacks, this is international basketball. You can't fall asleep for a quarter of basketball uh, and let your opponents get, get a 20-point leap on you um, the year before a World Cup. So certainly some work-ons, but at least there is a year to the World Cup and we're not looking at the World Cup in two weeks' time. Australia's situation was interesting because they were forced to forfeit their game against Iran because they refused to travel to a country that they deemed unsafe. We've seen this uh, every now and then with cricket with teams not going to Pakistan. What did you make of that ruling? It's a, it's a real tricky one, right? And it, it's, it's one of those ones that goes beyond the realms of sport and into government and politics as well. And all of the Australians who said, this is FIBA's fault, why did they put the game there? Well, from, from FIBA's point of view, Iran are a fee-paying basketball nation, so they get home games, you know? And their disagreements with Australia or the other way around or whatever are nothing to do with FIBA. They're just there to facilitate basketball. So one team refuses to go, that team cops a loss. So I certainly see it from a black and white FIBA point of view. Um, 
I'm certainly not qualified to get into the reasons why Australia don't want to go to Iran and all the geopolitical fallout from, from things like that. But from a purely basketball sense, I, I fully see why Australia copped the loss. And again, they've already qualified. It won't bother them too much that, they've, that they don't have to go to Iran. They save political face and they don't lose anything out basketball-wise. So I, I see it from both sides. Right, I've been following the breakers, of course, because there's a lot of, uh, while it's been in Australia, there's a lot of NBL on, action on, on uh, Fox in Australia as well, so they would have catch up there. Nine games into the season, uh, are you surprised by where the breakers are at, um, bearing in mind the last season or two? I wish I could say I wasn't, but I was, you know, I was one of the ones at the start of the season saying I can't see them making the playoffs, and here they are, sitting second, proving proving me wrong, pr- proving a lot of people over in Australia wrong. Um, they've been fantastic. They've been and they've been really fun to watch, and it's been a real return to Breakers basketball. Modi Maor, the the head coach, who's been the animated assistant for the last three years, here he is um, with his chance to be the head coach, and he's done a fantastic job. And um, it's so often in in these basketball leagues around the world, it is can you hit or will you miss with your imports and your recruitment, uh, and the Breakers have hit. You know, you look at um, Brown, you know, he's just, he's the second, Barry Brown Jr. is the second top scorer in the league. He's been an absolute revelation. Jarrell Brantley uh, as well. So we, and Derek Pardon, they've all been fun to watch, which is key to keep people interested in the breakers. Uh, and they've been getting the job done on court with, with an ably assisted group of, um, Kiwis and of course Wilma Dalwhite, the Australian too. So I think as we see Tom Abercrombie get back to full fitness and get out there and play, and play a key part, uh, they're only going to get better this breaker side. And yep, you can say the same for some of the Aussie sides as well. It's not going to be easy to stay second on the ladder, but I can see them doing it. Okay, well you covered uh, the breakers of course extensively uh, during the golden years, those championship years of 2011 to 2013. Mm. How do you compare that squad with what's starting to develop here now in terms of uh, the future, in, in fact? Kind of eerily eerily similar. Um, if you think about, I think back to those teams we had um, three imports that were really great fun to watch each of those years. You, you think of like the likes of Gary Wilkinson, um, who was awesome and just a, a real huge character as well as a huge man and a great player. Um, Cedric Jackson, one of the great breakers of all time, well, was there. And then, you know, the third one would, would change every year, but it was, you know, like Will Hudson, etc. But fun imports to watch who invested in being part of the team, who invested in, in the New Zealand culture as well and enjoying themselves. Um, so they were really good fun to watch. And then you had a key Australian, whether it was CJ Bruton, which it was, of course, or, or Daryl Corletto, and the Breakers have that now in, in Will McDowell-White, uh, who's one of the stars of the league, and, and an Australian who's playing over here in New Zealand, which is which is awesome, and I know Rankles a few Aussies, which is even better. Um, and then a real able cast of, of high-quality New Zealanders, Isaiah Liafa, who's almost certainly going to be on the plane to Australia next year, Tom Abercrombie, Rob Lowe, seasoned Tall Blacks, um, who are now veterans of the game, the likes of Tom Abercrombie, who were just like Kurt Penny was back in the day, you know, a seasoned veteran of the mm. game um, with that leadership as well as with that on-court play. So uh, an eerily similar roster. Um, coach is a little bit different, you know, overseas and having an Israeli coach, um, Modi Moa, very different to Andre Lamanis and, and Dean Vickerman as it was back then. But uh, there, there is similarities for sure. And it's just so good to have them home uh, and back on TV. And I think they're really vibing off that as well. You know, when you recruit, this is a question I've always uh, wanted to ask uh, someone with great basketball knowledge such as yourself. When you recruit, you recruit individuals. But when you recruit those individuals as a unit, 
how much do you have to consider how they're going to work together? Because it appears that it's recruited well in terms of combinations. Yeah, it's a huge part of it, right? You can't just go, you can't just recruit talent in any sport, as we know. You can't just recruit talent. Like, look at, we see it's all falling apart from Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo at the moment, and he is certifiably one of the top five best footballers of all time. So it's not just about talent, it's about personality, it's about how you're going to work um, in terms of as a unit on the court, but also off the court. Uh, and that's really key. And it's quite hard in basketball because, as I said, the pool for basketball players around the world is huge. Um, and just not just watching YouTube highlights isn't going to get the job done. Um, so the Breakers and all the Aussie NBL teams will have connections. They'll have scouts over in America and Europe at college basketball everywhere with the feelers out trying to find the right player with the right temperament, the right personality who's going to fit well with Tom Abercrombie, who's going to work well with Isaiah Liafa. Um, uh, and that's the key to it. And we see teams miss almost more than we see them hit. Look at Melbourne United, who rarely miss, have just had to cut an import, you know, nine games into the season and to try and recapture some form. So um, teams miss a lot, but the breakers have hit so far this season. Right, let's look at what's uh, coming up uh, as the, the season gets uh, back underway after that international window. And uh, this weekend, uh, the Tasmanian Jack Jump is, of course, last year's remarkable runners-up uh, on Friday night for the Breakers. How do you see that going? Yeah, they've got a tough schedule coming up, the Breakers, over the next few weeks. You know, they've got the next two weeks, they've got, well, the next three weeks, they've got double headers or two games in a round. Uh, and the first two of them this weekend and the next weekend, they've got the, an Aussie-New Zealand swing, so they've got to go away to Australia for a game and then come back and play a game at home. So <clears throat> it's, it's, it's a, a key part of the season, and Modi Mal will know that over the next three weeks with, with doubleheaders coming up. This jack jumper side, they've been good. They've been um, you know, winning as much as they're losing. They're, the last four games, I think they've, had, they've got win-loss, win-loss. Um, so they're certainly there for the taking, but... They really feel off their home crowd. You know, they get their antennae up and they feel off their home crowd. They've got a well-known man, of course, in Jared Weeks, who was a, a much beloved breakers, a breaker player over the last um, three or four years. So, um, but they're tough. Their imports are good. They're a solid team. They're well coached. They're still riding the crest of the wave from last year. So it's going to be tough. But the good thing about this breaker side, I can see them beating any team. You know, they just went down to the Sydney Kings last uh, in their last game, who are you know wiping the floor with most teams. So. They're going to be competitive in every game and it's going to come down to the bounce of the basketball um, to see who gets the win. So i tell you what, though, on these games where you have to go to Australia and then come home and play again in the same weekend, that flight home is much better, Smithy, if you've got a W than if you've got an L because it puts a lot of pressure on that second game. So um, they want to come home from Tassie with a win from the Silver Dome uh, and I think they're out in West Auckland against the Adelaide 36ers. They've lost, uh, lost more than they've won, so... Uh, that 36ers game with CJ Bruton, the Breakers legend, walking back into his old gym um, will be will be a big one. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that whether they can fly direct from uh, Tasmania to Auckland, so they might have to go up to Melbourne and come across. I, I'm pretty sure, Hugh. So that doesn't help. No, and and this has long been the you know same with the Warriors, right? And and but for the Breakers, having to go to Perth, having to go to Adelaide. Um, a lot of the time you're transiting through Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane. <clears throat> They're not small people, these basketballers. Um, so mm. trying to find that, that leg room and stay comfortable and stay hydrated and, and keep, uh, keep your muscles limber is tough. So these double headers where you have to travel are super tough. What happened to Adelaide uh, and where do you think they are at, the 36ers? Um, and the, 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 part of, uh, the messy departure of uh, Craig Randall? 
Yeah, again, another another mess. And see, Craig Randall, we talk about picking a player on talent, super talented, a great player. And we might see him <clears throat> end up on another team in the league who just needs to bring in some more talent, someone like the Illawarra Hawks, but but just the wrong personality. And they've ended up falling out with all his teammates. The teammates go to the coaching staff and say, we don't want this guy, we don't want to play with this guy anymore, even though he, you know, we know how good he is. Um, CJ Bruton, who's the head coach of Adelaide, knows all about having to bring the team together and, and have a good environment. He's one of the key reasons the Breakers won those championships because that's what he did as a veteran, as a player. He brought the team together and everyone rallied around him. So I think it was a smart move to do for the future of this season, for the future of franchise as well. You know, we saw the Breakers made a cinema mistake with Glenn Rice Jr., NBA talent player, um, but just not a character you wanted around your team and the, none of the Breakers players like playing with them and it was, geez, one of the darkest months or so in Breakers history uh, when Glenn Rice Jr. was here a few years ago. So um, I think it's a bit of drama in the season, so for the neutral it's a bit of fun to see that kind of fallout happen, but uh, Adelaide I think made a smart decision. Uh, it might cost them a, a win or two, um, but I think in the long run they're going to get much more wins off the court. Uh, interesting uh, situation with uh, Isaac Humphreys of uh, Melbourne United, of course, player publicly uh, coming out uh, saying he's uh, now openly gay um, in terms of declaring that. And uh, that's always an interesting um, issue for for people to do in sport, but maybe maybe not so much as it first used to be, but it's still it's still a headline maker. Yeah, I, and I couldn't believe when I you know when I saw the stat that he's now the the only openly gay player in top-tier basketball around the world. Um, so, I mean, it, was, it caught you in the fields, didn't it, watching that video and it, um, that, that, that mm-hmm. Melbourne United put out on social media, and it was awesome to see Shaley, um, great tall back, sitting front and centre, and, um, you know, he's, he's good friends with Isaac and, and great teammate, and I think it was awesome way that Melbourne United and Isaac <clears throat> did that. Um, and really interesting to see that his reasoning for it was because he never had a role model to look up to and go, oh, I can be myself in basketball because there wasn't anyone, you know? So now he's saying, well, if there is young players, you know, who are gay and who think, oh, can I be gay and be a professional basketball player? They can look at Isaac Humphreys now and go, yes, I can. You know, Isaac Humphreys mm-hmm. is an NBA player. He's played for the Atlanta Hawks and now he's um, back playing in his native Australia. Who, you know, he's, he's going to go to Olympics and go to World Cups with Australia. He is a fantastic player uh, and now he's openly and proudly gay. It's going <clears> to <throat> set the stall for so many young young men and women, hopefully, in their sports to go forward and go, I can do that too. So good on him. Uh, I think it's been really well received. Everything I've seen has been overwhelmingly positive around it. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a, a, a nice moment. Hugh, always great to catch up with you uh, with those updates. Um, I, I imagine you're thick into planning for the next year's NBL and uh, Taui seasons. How's that coming along? Yeah, good. Basketball never stops. <clears throat> but uh, no, it's been really good and some exciting developments uh, to come next year as we, we look to make these leagues bigger and better. All the best, mate. Thank you very much for your time this morning. And for those uh, Thanks, updates, buddy. we'll be in touch shortly. Jess, uh, Hugh Bain in there. Uh, of course, out of uh, Sonny Nelson as well. Lucky man. Uh, it's 10.19 here on SENZ. We've got a panel next. We're looking forward to talking to Jordan Oppert and to Ollie Ritchie from you. Uh, uh, it's a little bit, a while ago, though. But did you get to Cup Day with people there this time around? Got to Cup Day with people the, this time round, and Saturday I was covering the football firms, and just as well because that one was a bit of a shambles anyway. But you were very missed, Missy. 
<laughs> That's great then. Uh, at least you got some atmosphere. Got some atmosphere, Jordan. Uh, the other thing I wanted to, to talk to you about too is um, uh, I won't say the word fallout, but uh, the repercussions after that magnificent performance by the Black Ferns. Uh, I read an article yesterday where Honey Hedemi Smiler was talking about what needs to happen—a four or five point plan from her point of view. First of all, of course, is uh, some decent remuneration for uh, our winners. Do you, do you see that happening, and, and to what level? I think it will happen. I mean, you've already had a couple of sponsors say they're willing to chip in. There has been enough, I mean, at a political level. I mean, it, it was front top discussion in Parliament, when was it, yesterday or the day before. I think they're going to and they're going to have to. The England women, I can't remember off the top of the head, off my head what theirs was, but I mean, there's a benchmark for them already of what they deserve, I mean, and what they were looking for. And I think our Black Ferns absolutely deserve I mean, they've sacrificed a lot throughout their whole career, let alone the last eight months, and what they achieved is just phenomenal. But also not just for their sport, like women's sport going forward. I mean, I've spent the last week with the football firms, and they've told me, and even their coach, Yitka, said she's seen a vibe and a mood in camp that she's not experienced yet with the football firms, and that's because they've seen what's possible, that people do care about women's sport, that people will come and watch you, and that if they just be themselves, like the likes of Ruby Tui, your Porsche Woodmans, they just get out there and express themselves, people will buy into it and mm. love them. So it's very exciting for the future of the women's game, and they've changed women's sport, not just rugby. Yeah, I think they have. Uh, I think it's an incredible impact. Interesting too, uh, Ollie. Good morning to you. Uh, we've won now three World Cup rugby finals at Eden Park. Two men, uh, one woman, of course. Uh, and I, <coughs> some are saying this is the greatest of all. I mean, often when we look at events uh, and you know we get caught up in the knee-jerk sort of reaction and we take a bit of time to reflect on things. But uh, of the three, uh, does this one uh, does does it uh, does it stand out? Is, is it any different? Is it better? Is it worse for you? Um, yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning to you, George, as well. Um, oh, it was amazing. Um, it, it really was. And um, I just think that the quality of rugby that we saw, uh, it was the, the top two teams in the world going at it and, and playing a, a brand of, of rugby that was really exciting. And we've seen that throughout the World Cup. And, and that's certainly got Wayne Smith's fingerprints all over it for the Blackburns. But, you know, we've seen teams just want to play with the ball. The, the, the ball in playtime is so much higher um, than it has been with the men's game. And, you know, isn't it nice not to sit there and watch scrum reset after scrum reset and, you know, TMO intervention on this, that and the next thing. It's just nice to see them playing with a bit of freedom, a bit of confidence. You know, they're not afraid to throw the ball around. And that, that's what won that final for the Blackburns was the fact that they weren't afraid to throw the ball around and attack from anywhere because they weren't going to stop mm. uh, England's driving them all apart from on the last line out when it, when it mattered most. So they thought, we'll throw it around and we'll attack from anywhere, and it worked for them. Um, so, yeah, it was right up there for me. Certainly more exciting to watch uh, than 2011. One of the things that uh, Honey has um, mentioned in her, um, her, her article was the fact that there needs now, quite obviously to have more women involved in coaching, more women involved in administration of uh, women's rugby as such. Do you see that eventuating, um, uh, Ollie? Yeah, I, I do. I think it's an important as well. You know, we've got Whitney Hanson sitting in that, that coach's box who, um, you know, has, has grown remarkably as a coach. But, man, she would have learned a lot about coaching, sitting next to the Professor Wayne Smith, having Sir Graham Henry in there as well. Same goes for, for Wes Clark as well, but... Certainly as a, as a young coach on, on the rise at, at national level, you know, that 
just would have been invaluable for her the last kind of month and a half learning off those off those two guys. So, um, you know, I think it's it's a really good idea to look at um, either promoting her, um, but definitely keeping her within that environment because you know I think that um, that's how we're going to get the best um, out of these players going forward. Jordan, I've seen uh, an article where Sir Graham Henry said, that's it for me, I'm done, and I'm getting on a wee bit now, and I just want to be able to reflect, and I don't want to be hands-on anymore. But what about Wayne Smith? What what do you foresee is going to happen here? He said uh, it was the most fun he's ever had, the most uh, most satisfaction I think he's had of coaching any group ever. Uh, Is he going to be able to walk away from that for good? Well, that's the thing, and I think even with Ted and Wayne Smith, I think if the right job came along now, I don't think they'd turn it down. They love it. They genuinely, they genuinely love the game. They love coaching the game, and I think they've got it both got an absolute newfound love for the women's game. So, I wouldn't rule them out of popping up somewhere else in the future. I also think Wayne Smith said he's not going to have anything to do at the end of the World Cup, anything to do with this side going forward in a coaching capacity, but. Before he became head coach, he was brought in just to, you know, have a look at things and oversee a few things. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we still see them around the traps for some time yet. Um, I don't think it's going to be cold turkey as such. Okay, right. We'll take a short news break with uh, Araha. And when we come back, plenty more to talk about with Jordan Oppert and uh, Ollie Ritchie. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Jordan Oppert with us uh, this morning and of course Ollie Ritchie as well and uh, Ollie uh, Gary Stead saying the door isn't closed on Martin Guptill um, I'm not sure about that uh, I'm not sure there's a way back for Guppy Yeah it isn't shut it seems to me as if he's just slammed it straight in his face to be honest Smithy and, and what a poor what a poor way to treat one of our greatest limited overs batsmen um, you know to to essentially say thanks for your service, we're going to promote um, Finn Allen, and, and that's great, you know, if you want to invest in that younger talent, um, that, that's great, and I obviously see a big future for Finn Allen, um, but it just I, I, I'm not comfortable with the treatment of, of Martin Gutzel throughout all of this, Smithy, and I just feel like for someone that has given as much as he has um, to this team over a number of years I think he, he deserves a lot better, and yes, Gary says the door's not closed, but it looks pretty well closed to me. Um, so you know, that's a that's a. If this is it for for Guppy, then that that's a real shame. And New Zealand cricket and Gary Stead need to take a good hard look at the way they've treated him. Yeah, it's an interesting one for me too, Jordan. Uh, we saw Ross Taylor basically have a farewell tour. As such, we knew that he was uh, leaving us. Um, but I'm not quite sure uh, the way um, the seasons are sort of structured, etc. That. Martin Guptill is going to get that honour. No, I don't think so at all. I mean, I was at the press conference with Gary Stead when he you know, talked about the team that he'd chosen and the omission of Guptill. And I actually asked him, like, do you feel like you've given him enough talks behind the scenes that he could have bowed on his own terms if that was the case? And he was a bit cagey on it, to be honest. And I put it in the same category as Amy Satterwhite and the likes of Frankie Mackay even. And the, there was outcry over that and the way they were treated. This is no different. This is absolutely no different. He's given the same amount of service and I feel like he deserves, at the very least, to have been given... Like, have, do you actually think that conversation would have taken place? Like, look, you're not going to be picked. What would you like to do about it? Or is there something we can do? Because Ross Taylor got that. So why can't Martin Guptill? I mean... 
yeah, as I say, to me it seems exactly the same as Amy Sathaway and it's left a very bad taste in a lot of people's mouths and I can only imagine what it must be like for Guppy because I don't think there's a way back. I, I can't see a, a way back because once selectors make decisions, they hate giving people opportunity that they've dropped because uh, if they turn around and fire up, then they've, they've been proven wrong and not many people like that uh, for me. So, Ollie, what it effectively done is put a whole lot of pressure on Finn Allen. Finn Allen, okay, so he played pretty well a couple of times in the T20 World Cup, but uh, these are massive, massive pads to fill in terms of uh, um, Finn Allen over Martin Guptill. Yeah, but big time, Smitty, big time. And, and to be honest, I was kind of underwhelmed with Finn Allen at the World Cup. Um, starts, of, starts of 18, 19, 20 aren't really good enough. Like, we, we need more than that. And, I mean... The, you were there, but the way he, in my mind, gave away his wicket in that semi-final, he got out playing the exact same shot he just had a successful review on before. I mean, that's just inexperience, is it not? Um, you know, playing the exact same shot to pretty much the exact same delivery, um, only he didn't inside edge that one. So I think there's a lot of work to go with, with Finn Allen, and gee, wouldn't he benefit from having a mentor like Martin Guptin, Martin Guptill uh, around him as well? Um, you know, big, big shoes to fill. And you're right, man. It's, it's pressure on now for Finn Allen because he's going out there and essentially saying, uh, well, the Black Caps are saying, hey, you're our guy. We've chosen you over um, over one of our best limited over batsmen of all time. So it's on you now. So, yeah, a heap of pressure on, on Finn Allen to go and repay the faith there. He never actually batted out of a power play. He never got through a power play, which is quite significant when you look at uh, the performances of the other opening bats and when it came to the crunch and the serious games. Good point you make there, uh, Ollie. Uh, Jordan, OK, let's get back to the subject you touched on, and that, of course, is the football ferns. Uh, and now, of course, uh, they know uh, what can happen um, if you get it right in, in your, uh, your own country. Um, and I imagine they've talked about just how big globally this uh, this stage they're about to enter is. It's 12 months away, but, uh, man, it's going to be huge. Oh, yeah, gosh. I don't think we actually know quite what is going to hit us. I mean, I spoke to um, Rhea Percival yesterday, and now she's over with Tottenham as well. And she said when Alex Morgan from the US, USA arrived there, the scenes that came with that, just having a, a high-profile player in the team, was phenomenal. I mean, they've had record crowd attendances over there this year, and there's a hell of a lot of people planning to come to this side of the world to watch the FIFA World Cup. And I guess the other thing you have to be mindful of with the black ferns, I guess, versus football ferns, is that the football ferns are not likely to win, right? I think we can comfortably say that. But I don't think that should change how the world, the atmosphere, the people, the the sort the scenes we can expect to see, I don't think that's going to change. And I think the football firms know just how important, as cliche as it is, that 12th man is in terms of having a nation behind you. And gosh, like as I say, I can't really even describe what it was like being there. I mean, I did a live cross with them before the Black Ferns game. They were having a viewing party. They raced back from their game in the afternoon at Orange Theory back to the hotel to all their family and friends to watch Black Ferns. And they were genuinely teary when they talked about how inspired they are. So, yeah, I think we're in for a really exciting, you know, an, another really exciting World Cup. And it's going to be amazing just to see the amount of people that come from all corners of the globe to see these um, women's footballers. Ollie Ritchie, um, All Black season, calendar year coming to an end very quickly. Uh, right, uh, can they beat England and how much does that sum up uh, the calendar year of rugby for you? It's been 
tumultuous to say the least. Yeah, that might be putting it lightly, to be honest, Smitty. Um, can they beat England? Of course they can beat England. Um, but, you know, this is not Scotland. This is not Wales. This is England. And this is the one Eddie Jones wants. This is the, the, the game that Eddie Jones has had a massive circle around um, when, that, when that calendar came out. So I think they were going to be in for a, a, a real test, easily uh, their biggest test of the year since they toured South Africa at the start of the rugby championship. Eddie Jones has beaten this team before. He knows how to beat this team. I think he started the mind games already uh, earlier in the week by just talking about how beatable the All Blacks were, which is kind of typical of Eddie Jones. But, um, you know, absolutely. I, I think the success of particularly the latter half of, the, latter half of this All Black season really rides uh, on this game. Ian Foster's happy to go on about how they've won six in a row. Well, if they can't, beat England, then it doesn't really count for much. Like, if they finish their year with a loss against England at Twickenham, then it doesn't really count for much the last six games in a row that they've won, because those are games they they should win. All Blacks teams should win those games, but this is the real test, Um, and it could be another long summer for Ian Foster if he finishes another Northern Tour with a loss. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And uh, just finally, Jordan, great news this morning coming through on the, the tennis scene with uh, Emma Raducanu confirmed for the ASB Classic uh, early next year. Fantastic. Oh, how good. What a line-up. I mean, I, look, I, well, actually, the fam, they might be listening, actually. Well, oh, hopefully Dad's not, actually, today, because I tell you what, there's some Christmas presents brought this morning. How good. Ooh. I think we're in for an absolute treat. And it's so cool to see that it's like the... The ASB Classic of old. It's been a bit of an up and down couple of years, and already to have these, there's a couple of big names, four now really big names. Mm. Um, and it sets sort of the tone for the tournament, you know, and gets people excited. Jumped on, you know, Instagram and social media this, this morning, and the first thing everyone's sharing is Emma Raducanu. And I think how cool as well. She's a global superstar with a shot to fame. She's had a bit of a rocky, rocky time as of late, but I mean, she's no doubt going to come back into form at some stage, and hopefully it's for the ASB Classic. How good. How good fact, indeed. You probably How, know people yes. in high places, so you probably know people in high places. So if you could get me and Ollie into some sort of corporate box, um, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Go on, uh, no problem at all. Contact. Yeah, no, hey, no problem at all. Uh, consider it done. Oh, consider it done. Christmas oh, present from me to you. And, uh, oh, and um, my team, my team will be in touch with your team. There you go. My team will be in touch with your team. Um, and I can see no, Logan Swinkles in the background is absolutely nodding furiously. So thumbs up there. <laughs> thumbs up for you too. Uh, thank you so much for your, uh, your input this morning. Uh, and we'll be in touch. Jordan Oppert and Ollie Ritchie there on the panel. Brilliant stuff. Thank you. A voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. Okay, so uh, Live the Dream, get involved in Harness Racing today. Uh, Get uh, onto the website hrnz.co.nz. Now our Pacing for Purpose horse uh, goes round tonight, actually. Uh, It's 7.10pm at uh, Palmerston North. Uh, It's race five, number five. The horse is called Grinning Again. Its trainer is Michael House. Says uh, Grinning Again could be well winning again. So why not? It's won the last two. Just looked at the market, paying three bucks. That would be nice to add to our pot, which is at this stage 
$437.50 for the morning show. And that, of course, is going to Women's Refuge in the next hour. We shall we'll have uh, a Greyhound for you as well as part of the Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run. Uh, a lot of texts uh, have been coming in. Uh, a lot of people quite sympathetic for uh, the Martin Guptal uh, point of view. Um, unlike uh, welcome back Smithy, unlike many I didn't expect much from the Black Caps at the World Cup they had played terribly in the build up and played one good game against a poor Australian team. Uh, the rest of the games were average. I truly believe we need a shake up new coach, new selectors, new captain for T20 and probably for the 50 over game as well. Williamson is a great test batter and a captain but not up to the job for the shorter form these days uh, I think he's still very much uh, for me in the 50 over thing and the reason why is you've got more time there um, and he is able to build an innings there and he's got 50 overs as opposed to, to 20 overs but uh, I, I just, you know, when you've spent your whole life, as I said before you, you know, priding yourself on not getting out, occupying the crease for long periods of time and that is ingrained within your system it's very hard to all of a sudden just throw the switch and not care about getting out when it's been your lifelong uh, ambition to do just that uh, so, uh, and now that he's no longer with uh, the Sunrisers, Hyderabad, uh, whether he picks up another gig, it won't be for the same amount of money in the IPL, whether he goes to one of the other leagues, uh, of course, around the world, that's uh, up to Kane Williamson. He might even go the Trent Bolt way at some stage if that's uh, what he wants to do, uh, because he's good enough to be able to demand um, opportunities. But he, if he's going to stay in the T20 lineup, and he, I think he'd be the first to acknowledge this, he has to show more urgency. He has to show a little less fear, and um, just a, a little bit, a little bit more flippant, if you like, about uh, getting out, um, because it's just part and parcel of T20 cricket. It's not very often we saw it happen in the C20 semi-final uh, between England and India, where um, batsmen can bat right through an innings. That's the Kane Williamson way. Doesn't happen very often, um, and neither it should. Um, we need to um, we look we need to look at a, a number of things about that. Uh, and Chris has come in and said, uh, Jimmy Nisham was the big disappointment during the tournament, not used as a bowler and hardly scores a run. Well, that was an interesting thing too about the bowling side of things. Yes, they did bowl well. Uh, most of them bowled very well and kept us in a lot of games there. But uh, it was quite unusual. It was really quite unusual to see um, only five bowlers used, five bowlers used in the whole competition from a New Zealand point of view, which meant that Jimmy Nation played as a specialist batsman. Um, and sure, I mean, he was he was uh, threatening on occasions, and he is one player capable of hitting the ball out of the park from ball one. But he didn't, and you know, he didn't, and he didn't show any signs of that, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and I, I would have been very tempted at that point to say, right, if we're going to use Jimmy as a specialist batsman, how does Jimmy compare to Martin Guptill? As a ter in terms of being a specialist batsman. Uh, I think Martin Gupta in World Cups is probably a better specialist batsman than Jimmy Neesham. Maybe missed a trick there. Uh, it is uh, 10.51 here on SENZ. Uh, we might have uh, some TAB talk just before 11 o'clock. Yeah. 10.56 here on SENZ. It's uh, normal we, for 11 o'clock. We look at uh, what's happening in... TAB side of things, I can tell you um, that uh, in terms of harness racing today, there's two meetings, uh, Palmerston North and Winton, um, and in the Greyhounds, very busy as well, uh, Cambridge and Addington, and because uh, Pip Morris is uh, involved with the TAB trackside fronting that, uh, she's unable to be with us at the moment, but 
uh, plenty on as well in terms of uh, TAB sports betting. Uh, Logan, you've been uh, running the thumb across a few things. Yeah, cast my eye, Smithy. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Some interesting power plays here in NBA Thursday for you. Uh, Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, and Trey Young all to make three threes. That's been boosted to five dollars. That's an interesting one. Uh, and then another one, every team scores 100 plus points, $5.50. I'm not really sure how uh, likely that would come out, Smithy. Uh, and then on the wave of women's sports, of course, Rugby League World Cup, we've got the Kiwi Ferns in the final against the Australian Jillaroos. Keep in mind, Smithy, uh, that New Zealand lost to them by just two points in group play. Australia are paying $1.13. New Zealand are paying $6.00. New Zealand six bucks. That was pretty close, wasn't it? Two points. Get on it. That's what I'm saying. Get on it. Support the girls. Uh, and then thinking to the FIFA World Cup that's coming up. Uh, looking at the Golden Boot uh, for the player who's awarded, uh, who scored the most goals in that tournament. The favourite, of course, Harry Kane, eight dollars. Uh, Kylian Mbappe, nine dollars. Messi, eleven. Neymar, twelve. Bit of a dirty name in football at the moment, though, Smithy. Cristiano Ronaldo is paying $18. And then a little bit further down, Lukaku, 21 And another interesting one, Raheem Sterling, $34. So plenty of players to get behind there at the FIFA World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Harry Kane there. So and the, uh, just before we uh, finish off this hour as well, uh, I know you put in the notes to talk about Jordan Oppett and Ollie Ritchie, um, and I, I didn't get a chance to really uh, go over it with them, but... Uh, teams are, are arriving in Qatar at the moment. They're having their last-minute preparations. I just wonder, with all the political aspects that have come out of it, with the attitude towards workers being um, you know, hurt or killed in terms of getting the stadiums ready, I just wonder whether FIFA and the people at FIFA who have been dodgy, to say the least, in the past are sort of wondering or second-guessing their decision to take it to Qatar now. Possibly. I mean, you know, people say don't mix politics with sport, but this is what it's going to be all about and you can't get away from it. There's just so many things to look at and, you know, teams are arriving and, you know, a define of Qatar's stance on same-sex relationships as well and being supportive of the LBGTQ uh, communities. Uh, So all for that, uh, the football will be great. Hopefully it doesn't get completely overshadowed by the politics, though. Tell us about our involvement again. With the World Cup? Let's not go there, Smithy. No, okay. We can't. Okay. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, I can. Oh, if you're um, talking about new, okay. uh, SCNZ have commentary, I just mean the All-Whites aren't going to be there, but we have every oh, no, game. no, no, no. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, <laughs> SCN, because I've been away. Just refresh me. SCNZ have every game on the app. Okay. Nothing, nothing to be ashamed about there. Every game on the app. Don't know where you're hiding from, Logan. It's 11 o'clock. 14.76 a.m. in Auckland. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. First well, I haven't heard it for a while. I haven't heard it for a while, but there it is. That is the breaking news theme. So, uh, Logan Swinkles, what have you got up your sleeve there? Yeah, first day back, Smithy, and already some breaking news coming in hot here. Israel Adesanya uh, 
this is coming from TMZ Sports, was arrested uh, today for criminal possession of a weapon at JFK Airport in New York City after the UFC superstar was allegedly busted while going through security with metal knuckles. The arrest was made by the Port Authority Police Department near the TSA screening area by the American Airlines Terminal. And of course, brass knuckles are an illegal Class A misdemeanor in the state of New York. It's also illegal to carry them on your person or in a carry-on bag, but it's unclear where the alleged brass knuckles were stored. And it's also unclear if cops will issue Adesanya a desk appearance ticket or if he will remain in custody at this stage. Wow, that's pretty dumb, isn't it? Is that not pretty dumb? A little bit. (laughs) A little bit. Okay. All right, um, right, uh, we're moving on to some cricket now, um, which is not dumb at all. No brass knuckles. No brass knuckles in cricket, I can promise you that. Uh, An interesting time for a cricket on the back of the T20 World Cup, which has just been completed in Australia, of course, because uh, the next one, the next uh, one is the 2024 one, and that will be hosted by, jointly between the United States and uh, the West Indies. So America is officially making a pretty big splash when it comes to T20 cricket, and the Major League Cricket, MLC it will be known, will make its uh, debut from uh, July 13th to th- July 30 next year, so a pretty small window. Um, but uh, it will be uh, also played at uh, a Grand Prairie Stadium just out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, it's a major announcement that sees six franchises lining up looking to create some serious buzz ahead of the 2024 T20 World Cup. And joining us uh, now from uh, the United States is former Black Cap Corey Anderson, who's been getting amongst the cricket scene in Texas with the Dallas Mustangs. Welcome to the show, Corey. It's been a while. How are you keeping? I'm, I'm good, thanks, mate. Thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, I've been good. I've been uh, just plotting away in, in Dallas and uh, had a uh, had a little boy about four months ago as well, so uh, life's, uh, life's very different to what it used to be four months ago. That's, that's cool news, absolutely cool news, because, of course, you've been a, a, a little bit of a globetrotter when it, it comes to T20 cricket. How did you... Uh, how did you end up uh, in the United States, uh, plying your trade there? Um, so my wife is from Dallas. She was born and raised here. Um, she she was living with me um, for a few years in New Zealand, and I came over here basically because of the pandemic. I didn't really have my eyes set on anything else apart from just making sure I was with her at the time. Uh, and then basically a month into it, I, I got an opportunity to, to, to stay and, and help Major League Cricket kind of I guess build what they're building at the moment, and um, be a part of it as a player, and also helping coach and do a little bit of everything, kind of a jack of all trades, I guess you could say. Um, and yeah, here here I am, still uh, still basically uh, going through my eligibility for for USA as well. Okay, Corey. So let's uh, look at um, the next episode of T uh, Twenty Cricket in terms of the World Cup, which of course, as I said, is in the United States uh, and the West Indies jointly. What's the what's the appetite like? for cricket in in uh, in America because I would imagine this is slightly a gamble from the ICC but they then again they want to take the game global even more so yeah I mean I think when you're here I think obviously you know coming from New Zealand we look at America and it's got all the American sports and the NBA and NFL and all of that and then as soon as you get here and start I guess you know dipping your toes in the water of cricket there is a huge community of cricket here um, and it's crying out for something bigger than what it has um, and so that's why, obviously, us being here, you know, someone's got to go first and, um, you know, lay it down and 
hopefully create a pathway um, and that's what we're trying to do and um, having that World Cup here just basically creates a lot more awareness around uh, what's going on in America, um, you know, young kids coming in. I guess that South Asian community is, is hugely, hugely all over the states, um, you know, in different states, but mainly California and Texas um, and then up in New York as well. So um, there's a lot of lot of areas that are kind of, it, it's concentrated, um, but it's, yeah, it's a huge appetite uh, here in America, which is, again, fascinating coming from New Zealand, yeah. It is actually. Tell us about uh, the the announcement about the the MLC as such. Uh, what six franchises? Six franchises. Yep. So you've got New York, Washington DC, Dallas, Seattle, LA, and San Francisco. So um, some pretty big hubs. Um, I know a handful of the IPL teams are are in amongst that as part of the ownership, and I know there's a bit of an ongoing process as well to try and. Um, get I guess a few more of them on board um, it sounds like they're all very keen to get in uh, especially with I guess the formats of franchise cricket at the moment as well there's there's so many of them popping up um, but you can start seeing that I guess all these IPL teams and the big ownership groups of these franchises are starting to take over country by country um, and having their own little little player pool um, in each of those franchise competitions so you know Major League Cricket will probably be very very similar um, and hopefully you know create a few waves and and make a bit of a name for itself and put it on the map yet another opportunity too for uh, to, for cricketers to, to make a buck out of the game of course uh, and that for them um, is very very important uh, Corey so this window uh, they're pretty hard to find um, away from leagues away from the IPL away from uh, you know international um, windows as such so uh, it's good that they've been able to find this what kind of what kind of player um, do you think you'll be kind of, uh, able to attract first up? I mean, you need to have uh, superstar type names to give credibility. So, how are they going to go about this? What 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 kind of money are we looking at? That's a very good question. I, I, I if I'm if I'm saying numbers, I'm guessing. So, um, I, I know they're not going to be likely. They're not going to lie down and just sort of come in and be one of the lower ranked sort of I guess franchises paying money. They'll want to come in and make a bit of a bit of a splash and make sure we can get those top top uh you know top performers around the world because again i know obviously icc's got their scheduling around you know all the all the international sorry yeah the national competitions and the international schedule so that takes up a large chunk so in terms of availability there's still a lot of question marks around who who is available are there teams playing test cricket at that time things like Mm. that um so that does play a big factor in it but I guess the level of cricket that we've got here in America, we do have a very decent player pool, um, but we're, we're not in the same category as, you know, your New Zealand's, your Australia's and things like that. So we do need these top level players to come in um, to make sure that this product is, is something that can be sold to, to the rest of the world and, and make sure it looks good. The interesting thing, and we talked uh, in the intro about the, the new stadium that uh, you guys are developing there, the Grand, the Grand Prairie Stadium, um, and we've just come off a T20 World Cup, which I imagine you uh, watched a bit of the action from, uh, Corey, in these vast stadiums in Australia, the MCG, SCG, the Gabba. You've played at all these stadiums anyway. You know exactly the size uh, and the capacity they have there and their facilities, the pitches, etc. How are the facilities developing along? I mean, it's not far away, this tournament. No, I know it's not far away at all. So seeing it the other day, um, you know, they're making massive inroads for, uh, I guess, the, the amount of time they do have, but they'll they'll have to keep working pretty hard to make sure that thing is up and running for Major League next year. So, um, you know, I, I think that's been the biggest 
um, I guess, part that's trying to create the facilities is there's been, apart from a couple of facilities in Florida and Fort Lauderdale there, um, and then Raleigh in North Carolina, there's there's not been much else. So you're, you're starting from scratch, and that's the biggest issue here is that we don't really have a system in place. There hasn't been a system in place for a long, long period of time. So you're trying to basically become a startup company and do all these things um, and create an infrastructure around cricket and making sure that that's all working. And there's a lot of moving pieces to it. So, you know, it's different to being in New Zealand with five and a half million people. I mean, there's, I think, 320 million people here. So it's it becomes a lot more difficult in state to state is basically like trying to get, uh, I guess, approval from different countries. So um, the whole thing is very big and there's a lot of moving pieces. But again, it's exciting. And I know they're underway with a lot of the other stuff in, in those other states to to get those stadiums up and running as well. So, um, yeah, it'll it'll be a big progression, obviously, in the next sort of six months to year. Um, but, yeah, it'll be really exciting when, when all of it does come, come to fruition. And, of course, central to that are the, the playing conditions. So what about the wicket blocks and things like that, um, which take time to bed down? Yeah, that's the other big part of it. I know as a player, I, I said, I, you know, this part of it, I was like, I don't really care who turns up. You need to make a good wicket. Otherwise, no one's going to turn up in the end of it and no one's going to watch on TV. So that's been a massive part to it. And they're trying to, I guess, you know, get the top groundsmen around the world to come in and, you know, um, you know, do their thing and make sure these wickets are are up to scratch for a product that we need to produce. Um, and then with that in mind, um, to share their experience and knowledge with, with guys that we can have here on, on the ground to maintain those wickets as well. Because we all know if you make a drop in wicket, that's that's great for a week or two. But after that, um, it can go pear-shaped. Mm. And it, the cost is just ongoing if you have to keep doing that. So, um, yeah, the wickets have been the, the, the big thing, along obviously with these stadiums and infrastructure that we're, we're making a massive focus to to being sure that we have a, a good high level of cricket because I know that's what the top level players want to come in and play and they don't want to see, you know, ninety playing a hundred and things like that. So um, you know we've got to make sure the crickets to a, to the highest standard possible. Corey, you well know that uh, there's major league rugby over there, um, and of course uh, they've been able to attract um, New Zealand players, particularly those that have uh, towards the end of their careers as such. Uh, I, I just wonder whether United States cricket and the Major League cricket might go along the same pathway in terms of attracting those players who are well known to, in the world of cricket, but are um, <coughs> you're at, at the end rather than the beginning. You see that as a possibility? Um, I don't necessarily think for the franchise. I mean, I, I can see it definitely being a situation where um, players, probably very much like myself. Um, I mean, I, I had a connection to America in the, in the first place, so it makes it a little bit easier to to plant some roots here and, and find your way. But um, for guys who are potentially on the outer of international teams and they don't really see themselves making it back in, this could be a possibility for them to come in and maybe create an eligibility and you've got a different country and America's a great place to live um, lifestyle-wise. So you know, there is an option for, for guys to potentially come across and, you know, they will have to do their time for eligibility and things like that. But when it comes to the franchise mm. competition, I think you'll be finding we're, we're going after the, the top-level players, obviously, you know, respective categories of, of what they would want to go into. But, um, yeah, I think we don't want to, I guess, dumb down the product uh, per se, and I say that in the nicest way, um, by getting guys who are, I guess, you know, potentially at the end of their careers and not producing what they 
they would like. Um, I don't think we're here to give a handout and make the competition, um, you know, belittle it or anything like that. We still want to thrive and, and be a really high-performing competition. So uh, if um, if I ask you the standard of cricket that um, you're involved with at the moment, how would you equate it to back here in New Zealand? Um, that question always comes up normally with, with a lot of people. The first thing I saw when I came here is, Everyone that I've spoken to, they're always surprised and shocked at how high the level actually is um, comparatively to probably what we think of, of an associate nation. Um, oh, look, I'd be saying it's 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 definitely better than club cricket in New Zealand. Um, it's it's not at a first-class level, and I think that's obviously because of the infrastructure parts and, you know, people who are playing cricket here have, have got jobs through the week. Um, so, you know, they're... They're not full-time cricketers training to, to be, become a cricketer. They're, you know, they've got a full-time job and they play cricket in the weekends and that's that's it. So um, the level, hopefully, and it already has in the last year and a half, two years, already progressed um, massively just because of the personnel we've, we've had come in and um, some of the opportunities that have come up with, you know, travelling around the country and different competitions and the money that's been thrown into some of these, you know, weekend competitions as well. It gives guys a great opportunity to play. So... Um, yeah, I'd say it's around that standard of not quite first-class cricket, but um, you know, better than club cricket. And hopefully, hopefully over the next couple of years as well, we can you know start budding some of the young talent here as well, and, and give them a pathway to actually you know make this a career. And I think that's been a huge part that's been missing in USA cricket is you know they play when they're kids, and then they sort of leave the game and have to find a job. So hopefully, this can create a, a career for these for these guys as well. Corey, no doubt you watched uh, some of the the T20 World Cup, which has uh, just been on, of course, in Australia, and you saw the impact of um, the lesser nations, and I'm I'm not trying to be insulting here, but the the sides without the reputation, without the history that they've had in the game, I'm talking the sides here like the Netherlands, who knocked out South Africa, Ireland, who uh, knocked over England, Zimbabwe, who knocked over Pakistan. Uh, So, uh, I mean, it's quite clear um, that once you get a foot in the door... Uh, you can produce results. What does the United States national team look like now? And what's it? Uh, what what is it made up of? I mean, for instance, the Netherlands, seven nationalities within the ne- Netherlands squad, seven different nationalities. What does the United States national side look like at the moment? Uh, again, most of them are, are expats from you know whether it's from the Caribbean, um, you know India, Pakistan, places like that. I dare I say it, it's probably going to get worse in terms of the expats in the next handful of years as well um, just because of who we've got coming in and guys who are becoming eligible so um, look ideally in a perfect world we, we would have you know um, you know Americans born and raised and they can become the you know the face of cricket in, here in America but obviously with nothing in front of them in terms of infrastructure that's been really difficult to do so um, hopefully that flips around I know we're kind of getting more the I guess the second generation Indian guys who are you know, parents who are, parents have moved over and they've been born here and they're coming through in, in that American culture. Uh, we're getting a lot of the under-19 kids who are, who are really, really good at their cricket um, starting to kind of push for some of those spots in that USA team. So um, it's a it's a good-sized player pool. Um, but, yeah, that, that USA team chops and changes a little bit just depending on what that is. But I think if reverting back to the 2020 stuff, at 2020 levels of playing field. So those associate nations... Um, they have some good players. And as we know, 2020 cricket, on a given day, if one or two guys get going or they have a good day with the ball or the bat, that can that can end a game for, for even the best team in the world. Um, it's when you start producing 50-over cricket 
in test cricket, that's when you start finding those, I, I guess, those bigger cracks amongst some of those associate nations. Um, and, you know, and, and USA is being part of that. You know, there's been no focus on on test cricket or red ball cricket. It's purely 2020 cricket with, you know, currently sprinklings of one day cricket. So you can tell where the, I guess, the, the global game is going um, and it's heading more towards the shorter format just because that's where all the money is getting produced currently, which is a good thing for the cricketers playing, um, you know, but ultimately test cricket is also the place and first class cricket is a place where you do learn your craft. And I think mm. that could be a massive factor in not quite producing some of the talent we would like. Um, but there's also opportunities for them potentially traveling and maybe playing some first class cricket around whether it's England, whether it's New Zealand, um, Australia. So yeah, I, I think that's a big part that we will miss. And I think the associate nations do miss that. Um, but again, to get them on a global scale, playing in front of big crowds in Australia and the T Twenty World Cup, you know that does them, you know, you know, puts them in massive confidence, and it gives that team an ability to know that they actually can beat some of these sides as well. Closest uh, cricketing nation that you've got next to you, of course, over there is uh, the West Indies. So. Uh, going through a, a bit of a lull, I think it's, uh, it's fair to say, uh, Corey. Is there concern there? Are you you're hearing about uh, what's happening in the West Indies? And uh, are they going to be good partners, the USA and, and the West Indies, in hosting this, do you feel? I think they, yeah, I definitely think they will be. I, I, I think West Indies understand the opportunity that lies in America, and I know that they want to be a part of it. Uh, we understand how much how valuable the West Indies are in terms of cricket as well. And I think if you look at probably the personnel that have, um, you know, not been in those teams in the last probably six months to 12 months. They are huge players in the game, um, not just for the West Indies, but even franchises around the world. So when you get those guys leaving a team, it's always going to leave massive gaps. That happened to the Sri Lankan team when you had Kumar Sangakkara and Mahalaj Jawardner and guys like that leave. They had a period where they had to rebuild and all of a sudden find three or four stars in their team to try and get them to a position where they could actually feel like they're winning games. Um but they'll be absolutely fine. They've got a, a heap of talent sitting there, and I know a lot of those guys come across to America and play in these weekend competitions and and wanting to play in Major League and things like that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, the relationship that USA has with, um, with the Caribbean is, is a really good one, um, and it's a good rapport, and I think they know they're going to have to work well together um, to make sure, you know, this goes really, really well. Is uh, overseas uh, coverage of, of cricket around the world is it is is it accessible for you in in the United States? I mean, have you been able to watch the the latest uh, T Twenty World Cup? Have you followed? Are you able to keep tabs on on where New Zealand are at? Yeah, I have. Yep. I mean, having a baby probably slightly put me off a little bit, but um, I've definitely been able to keep up to date with it. We've got Willow TV over here, and um, it's the broadcast that basically gives us all of the cricket around the globe, um, whether it's franchise competitions or international games. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty easy to keep up to date with actually what's going on around the world. The time difference is obviously the one of the issues. But, um, no, I've been, been keeping up to date. And, again, I, I look at that New Zealand team and, you know, I was in that not that long ago and I've been playing with most of those guys for most of, most of my career. I played under-19s with them. So, um, yeah, you're starting to see a little bit of turnover and I guess that's just part of an international setup as well. You, you get guys who are coming close to retirement and, you know, they're leaving Ross, um, you know, being a, a, a huge stalwart for, 
for New Zealand cricket, um, you know, and he'll always be hugely missed. Um, but then you see them start playing in some of these retired leagues, which is, you know, also great for fans because they get to continue to watch these guys, um, you know, even though they have left the international arena, they get to still show their face and, and you know, do their thing on TV, which, which people love. Well, there's a couple of names uh, I could throw in the hat for you straight away that um, might like to be part of it at some point. Uh, Ross Taylor, who's still swinging the bat pretty well in the Legends Leagues. And, of course, Martin Guptill, who it appears is no longer wanted. Yeah, I, I did see that when I saw the selection stuff again. I, it's hard to get the uh, the inside information is, is probably what I used to. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, Guppy's been an unbelievable player for, for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure he'll be devastated that he's not in that group. And, you know, again, it probably just shows you the, the, the player pool that New Zealand cricket has at the moment as well. Um, to be able to kind of, you know, have someone of his calibre not in that squad, um, you know, it always it always raises eyebrows. Um, and so, from a, I guess from New Zealand cricket standpoint, they've got to feel like confident in who they've got coming in, because um, you know sometimes it comes back and can bite in the ass a little bit. Um, but look, those guys are, are you know massive talent, um, and they have been for a long, long time. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure their names will be thrown in the hat for for the, the uh, major league cricket and. Um, you know, and hopefully, hopefully we can see them, see them in it. And again, I'm not going to be one of the ones who is probably picking a team, but um, yeah, hopefully they can uh, they can find themselves among it. Corey, absolutely fantastic to catch up with you. Great family news. Uh, very, very chuffed for you there, uh, and great to hear that uh, you're heavily involved with the development of the game over there. Uh, thanks for your time. Very informative. Uh, go well. P- appreciate it, Smitty. Thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Corey Anderson there uh, out of Dallas, uh, where he is uh, currently in- involved with uh, residing uh, with his lovely wife and uh, new baby and, uh, of course, currently residing over there. And, um, yeah, people like Corey Anderson who have, uh, have been globetrotters, really. Uh, he's played in a lot of leagues. Corey Anderson, he's played to, and uh, for uh, Mumbai, Delhi and RCB. I was just doing um, a, a little recce on, on Corey because it's been a while since I've been hearing what he's been up to, but of course, uh, 13 tests, 49 one internationals, 31 T20 internationals as well. Um, and I don't think uh, we've heard the last of Corey Anderson either, uh, particularly in the United States cricket setup, which is great news. Uh, it is 11.25 here on SENZ in the morning, so we'll take a short break, and then, of course, you know what's coming up around about 11.30. ENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, coming up to 11.30, which means uh, you have to call us, please, 0800 150 It is uh, time to uh, stump Smithy for the first time in a long time. Desperate for a win, I am. Here's Araha with the news. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time for the long-awaited return of Ian Smith, both on ECNZ mornings, but of course, stumped by Smithy with a $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs today. And Smithy Ricardo did do an admirable job, but he's not a wicketkeeper. He's not Ian Smith. Well, he could be a goalkeeper, though, couldn't he, Ricardo? Perhaps when, when Ricardo's on duty, we should have like a penalty shootout. Oh, I as like that. As opposed to a stump smithy. Yeah. Penalty shootout with Ricardo. Three penalties uh, against Ricardo in goal when he's on duty. And we'll just go back to the stump smithy when I'm back. So, you know, 
Interesting. Just food for thought. Throwing ideas out there thought. on your first day back. I love it, Ricardo. I hope you're listening, mate, because I think we'll do that. That's awesome. Uh, first at the crease, though, Nick from Wellington. Come in, mate. G'day, boys. How are we? We're, we're damn good, mate. Absolutely damn good, mate. So, what, have you, what did you make of uh, the T20 World Cup? I've got to ask you. Um, yeah, I think the best team won. There's no doubt about that. I thought, um, I thought the Black Caps copped a bit too much stick, to be honest. They're against Pakistan. I thought, like, they weren't too bad. You know, they got beaten. But I, I thought, you know, like, they, they put up a decent score on a tricky wicket and um, probably just didn't hold. You know, dropped the early catch, didn't help. But um, mm. I think I think you know quite often quite often in 2020 like you can you, you know if you lose you get smashed you know by virtue of having to chase the game but but I thought that the Black Caps actually you know the, the, probably the, the the result and the game was a bit closer than perhaps um, people are giving them credit for. Mm, I think uh, the problem was as as always is the case we. We sort of stumbled at one of the final hurdles and it just wasn't as good a performance. I think they, they probably didn't see or do themselves too many favours, Nick, by beating Australia so convincingly because that was almost the perfect cricket performance. It's always very hard to replicate. Yeah, I think the other thing, the Black Caps tend to play quite conservatively, don't you? Don't they? And mm. In 2020, the teams that are brave are the ones that um, the ones that you know usually go well. You know, you've got to be You've got, you know, you, 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 you've, got, you, you've got to be brave, you've got to be ballsy, prepared to, prepared to, you know, get out, prepared to go for boundaries when you're bowling, you know. Hey Nick, can it, before we ask you this question, I've got to ask you this because the boys and I are listening to the sound effects in the background there. <laughs> so where are you? Oh, sorry, I'm driving. I've actually, I'm in a, I'm a, I'm in a work van, so I've probably got drums of cable bouncing around in the back obviously on Bluetooth hands free you know we've got to be safe out here <laughs> yeah okay absolutely fair enough it, it sounded like there was like a, an animal groaning or something in the background That's a, that was what I was I was taking but anyway okay let's uh, we're diverse here let's get into this let's get into this <laughs> to, because to if be you fair. get it wrong there are some people waiting so uh, Nick's uh, subjects for today Logan well we thought uh, maybe you were out sailing uh, alright the topics for you to choose from today Nick are World Series Baseball Football as in Soccer Football and Rugby League I'll go for football, mm. eh? All right, good luck. Of course, the uh, FIFA World Cup just days away. The 2018 FIFA World Cup was held in Russia and won by France. Can you name the top scorer from that tournament? Harry Kane. That's the couple of chips down the wicket. Wow. In the slot. And away it goes. That's right, Harry Kane. He blew up bloody doors off, Smithy. Uh, he did. And he, uh, what, is he 10 to 1 to be the leading scorer this time around as well? The odds you quoted before. So, yep. well done. Good start, Nick. Congratulations. All right, second question for you, Nick. Brazil have won the most titles with five. When did they first win the FIFA World Cup? Oh, sorry. They won the third one, I think, which was... Uruguay was like 36 or something like that, maybe 1940. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Okay, so 1940, that would have been war years, eh? 
So um, 44, 48. I'll go, no, I'll go 52. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You were in the right decade. 1958 was when they first won. Okay, well, it wasn't even a World Cup year, 52, what was I thinking? Okay, 58, rightio, Nick, let's keep going. No worries, mate, first one back, first one back. Nick, last question for you, $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Who holds the record for most goals scored in FIFA World Cup history? Oh, God. Oh, ah, is it? Is it the original Ronaldo? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not the OG Ronaldo. Smithy, over to you. Okay, so uh, this is interesting. For a few names come to mind here. People like Eusebio from Portugal. Pelé, of course, is uh, another one that you would consider. Um, I'm going to go German. Gerhard Muller. Uh, no, Gert Muller. Gert Muller, German. One no? of the worst things... I have oh, ever seen no. done on a cricket field. Gert Muller. Miroslav Kloss. Oh. Miroslav Kloss. Oh, God. Miroslav Kloss, of course. Outstanding. Oh, well, Nick, uh, by losing, uh, you've won, which is one of the great things about this <laughs> competition. By being, by being no, no good this morning, you've been an absolute winner. We congratulate you, so stay on the line. Uh, Brian will get your details. We'll get that... F- freight to you as soon as we possibly can. Well done, mate. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you, guys. You too. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Nick there uh, from Wellington is a winner. It's 11.39 here on SENZ. Uh, coming up uh, very shortly, we will give you um, a greyhound, a greyhound selection to raise money for our charity Women's Refuge. And we'll also hear from Stevie Elker, I think. Uh, what a star. What a year for Stevie Elker. Talk about poor man to rich man. Talk about superstar in the world of golf. Stephen Elka. We'll hear from him shortly too. This morning's with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand Charity Run. Yes, so you can uh, join us uh, each week uh, as we try to raise funds for four New Zealand charities and uh, ours, of course, is Women's Refuge, uh, our Greyhound for uh, today, in fact, uh, Cambridge, uh, not too far away, five minutes past two is race eight, uh, number three, Majestic Legend. Majestic Legend coming out of uh, Cambridge. Uh, it's been good enough to qualify and compete in the New Zealand Cup, so it's a fair old dog, four placings from four starts. Just looking at the... The numbers that have been raised, we're, we're only $82.50. I can't believe that. I can't believe we've been that crap. I mean, it couldn't, I thought we were about a grand. All of a sudden, we're $82.50. Staffy, $1,265 off greyhounds. Uh, we've got to get our act together, and that's beginning today with Majestic Legend. And don't forget, uh, also, every Sunday from uh, midday, you can listen to Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed, our show dedicated to the greyhounds, hosted by uh, greyhound experts Mark Rosanowski. And Dan Roberts. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing's New Zealand's Dog Speed. Right, uh, let's uh, hear from uh, Stephen Elka, shall we? Uh, He was uh, on the uh, show talking uh, with uh, uh, the Breakfast Boys uh, a couple of days ago. And this was uh, uh, some interesting thoughts for him. This is an amazing 
Yeah, we've, we've talked the, with Stephen Elka on at least three occasions since we've been up and running. And each time he's just uh, kept it within his uh, stride, just uh, taking it, enjoying it, loving it. Um, and all of a sudden now he is the champion. He is an absolute superstar. Uh, so what are uh, his thoughts about being on, uh, on tour this year with all the success attached to it? Just life for Steve Alka. Obviously it's changed a hell of a lot from a monetary sense, but has it changed Steve and Alka at all? I get a sense it hasn't. Oh, I don't think so. You know, I still um, like having a barbie out the back and a beer and just nice. seeing another guy. It's, um, Where's the you know, invite? It's just... Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I cook a pretty mean steak, actually. But, uh, no, it's 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 just... Um, it's been so um, well and so happened so quickly. And, you know, you, you kind of sit down for five minutes and you think about you know, what, what you've done and we're going again, you know what I mean? So... Um, you know, being being kind of number one for so long since since like early May, uh, you know, the focus has just been kind of um, sticking to my guns and and you know trying to trying to stay number one and 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 it's um, it's been a lot. So yeah, I think we'll have a little bit of time in the next couple of months just to kind of let it sink in before we start in Hawaii next year. Oh, you deserve you deserve that, Steve. What what in What's the response been like? You know, like the Kiwi boy from down under comes up to the, the tour and takes over. Have you seen, like, has there been a change in, in people's perception towards you at all? I think so. Yeah, I, I've kind of, you know, let the clubs do the talking. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a, a Langer or an Owls or a Padraig Haverington. You know, I certainly haven't had the careers like them. But, you know, people have started taking notice and... and I've had huge support from New Zealand, like you know, emails and texts and and just messages. It's been it's been fantastic, and and I think I you know caught the, the golfing public eye a little bit more over here, and um, so yeah, it's it's been um, it's been fun. It's been a fun to be amongst these guys and and just uh, pick their brains a little bit and, and get a get a little bit of respect from which is which is neat. Um, it, it's it's really been. It's been fun. I just started really enjoying my golf, not just because I'm playing well, but just the atmosphere and, and, and the environment I'm in. It's, it's been really neat. He's been a busy boy, uh, Stephen Alka. So what about the possibility of getting back to New Zealand? Talking about stakes, I'll expect one at Millbrook when you come back and you participate <laughs> in the New Zealand Gold, Golf Open, mate. How excited are you? are you looking forward to that tournament? Come back and play at home. Yeah, yeah. I, I sure am. Obviously, you know, I'm meant to be the draw card. I, I don't know. I'm an old guy, so I, I think, you, you know... You're a raging hot favourite, Steve. I'm a younger guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but, you know, I'm just... I'm just so, I, I love playing in New Zealand. Uh, I've spent some time down in Millbrook uh, playing with Bob Charles and obviously John Griffin, good buddy of mine, who has spent mm. and, and been pro there and spent time playing there. So... I love the area, I love the, the atmosphere and um, it's been four years, it'll be four years in March since I've been back home so yeah, really, really looking forward to, to a good kiwi steak and a, and a pie, it'll be great Beautiful, well just quickly do you have any advice for struggling golfers out there who love the game but are considering hanging up the clubs, probably more question pointed at myself <laughs> really <laughs> Well mate, I, I tell you, I mean I, I play a lot of pro-ams obviously and that sort of thing we get a lot of golfers who who just don't don't play the game? They might play once or twice a year, and it's like you know to be thrown in that atmosphere. It's it's intimidating. But my advice to anybody wanting to get better or just starting out in the game and 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 get a little bit better is is play the right tees. You know, people mm. play the tees that are, they're wrong from. They want to go back too far. 
play the Ford tees, make it more enjoyable. Don't be so hard on yourself. You know, don't beat yourself up mm. for, you know, trying to hit a decent shot. You know what I mean? If you miss a two-foot putt, well, shit happens. You know what I mean? So <laughs> just, you don't be so hard on yourself and play play it forward. You know, play a shorter course so you got some wedges and nine irons in your hand rather than trying to smash your rescue into the green or something. You know what I mean? So that's that's my advice anyway. So what he's saying to you is he has effectively play off the yellow tees, boy. Play off the yellow tees. That's what he's saying to you. Uh, that's the best chance you've got with your game. And he should know because uh, on top of the $1.63 million that he won for finishing third uh, just last week in the Charles Schwab Cup Championship in Phoenix, uh, his earnings have now got to $7.44 million US dollars. Take a look at that. $7.44 million. Uh, I think he knows what he's talking about, is he? And I think uh, the kind of stakes that he has would be uh, a little bit too good for you, my friend. It is 11.51. 11.51 here on SENZ. We'll be back with Mark Stafford, who likes a good steak, very shortly. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.